Welcome to Deep Dive Coaching for Creatives with me, Coach Cami. In each episode, I'll be covering the basics of deep inner work, the hardest and most important work you can possibly do for yourself. I have been where you are, stuck with self-limiting beliefs and an inner critic on overdrive, and no idea how to get past them. I've done this work on myself, for myself. I know how hard it is, but I want to make it easier for you and help you become your best self. You deserve it. In this episode, you'll get to meet my good friend, Linda Morden. Linda is a life, energy, and relationship coach who I've enjoyed knowing for years. She's a gentle soul with big wisdom, and I know you'll enjoy getting to know her. Welcome, Linda. I so look forward to where this conversation is going to go. Thank you so much, Kimmy. It is such a pleasure to be here. Tell me, what is a belief that limited you that you have since overcome? Something that I overcame was having come from a background of one, having been like being bullied as a kid when I was in, in elementary school. Tell me more about what that was like. What were the self-limiting beliefs that being bullied started in you? Oh, my goodness. Essentially, I, I was bullied so badly in elementary school. I remember, it must have been fifth grade, my parents went to my teacher. And my teacher told my parents that if I didn't wear my heart in my sleeve, that they wouldn't pick on me. That was for the schools. That was my teacher's response, right? So that I was too soft. Mrs. Birch, oh, God bless her. It was just a, it was a, one of those situations where it was a, a girl that she'd be your best friend one week and hate you the next. And she was kind of a queen bee. And so when you were out, like I'd walk on the sidewalk and all the other kids would get off the sidewalk. I'd be on one side of the room and all the kids would go to the other side of the room or they like would kick me as I went past or poke me in the back of the head with a compass. I mean, it was, it was pretty brutal. And I think what that does, one, you just feel like you don't have that worth. People aren't going to like you, that what you say isn't going to be accepted, right? So I think that as a creative, as as a person putting themselves out there in the world, for one, it I don't have anything worthwhile to share mm-hmm. or people aren't going to want to listen or they're not going to like me. Yeah. Right. You're faced with over and over random rejections for no, mm-hmm. for no apparent yeah. reason. Right. And right. What was the turning point for you? What, at what point did you say, all right, this garbage, this garbage, how, how do I get past this? I'm not going to deal with this anymore. It started to change when I was, like sixth grade, there was a, a girl who moved to our class and we became best friends. And it was kind of that you only need one person to see you as valuable and worthwhile and fun and wonderful for yourself to kind of start to believe that the rest of that doesn't matter. Right. So that was transformative. You still kind of have those those voices in the back of your head. And but then as I grew older, I think one of the biggest turning points was the first time that I was in a situation where a friend had gone through something 
Um, in this case, it was a breakup. And it was very similar to a heartbreaking breakup that I had had in college. And I was able to help her. And I think it was the first time because when I had gone through it, I got like, I was like very, it's very dark time. And I like wrote all these angsty things in my journal, you know, (laughs) it was like, you know, God doesn't, I don't believe in love and God doesn't care. And all these, you know, I was, it was full on angst as a, (laughs) you know, as a 19 year old, right? 19, 20 year old. But when I met this dear friend and she went through that and I was able to speak from a place of, I went through that and I came out the other side and it was actually better than it was, it was the first time I, I really had a vision that the things that we go through in life really will prepare us to help someone very specifically in the future. And so from that, everything that else that I've gone through in life, I've always had that vision that you know, this is going to be useful. This is going to be helpful <laughs> at some point in the future to someone else, right? So yeah. every every dumpster fire that you in, you recognize that when the fire goes out, you can you can glean the pearls and leave the dumpster and help someone with exactly. those pearls. Yeah, yeah. Just like you know, I can dig through the 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 grimy, greasy uh, residue of, of the fire, right? And take those little, you know, whether it's like hard-earned wisdom or a realization of what's really important or the idea that our path in life kind of is what we make of it, right? But every opportunity is something that we can we can grow and, and something better can come from. You know, from most situations, right? There's certainly there are tragedies in life that we just, you know, breaks our hearts and we never, you know, fully can 100% heal from things like loss and losing people we love. Um, But we can still, even in the midst of that, grow and be able to help and, you know, be there for someone else who's maybe going through that. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah. Had I had I known as a child, had I known that all every all the garbage that I went through would not only help me grow stronger, but to help other people, I would have said bullshit. I would have said, right. no, are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Yeah. But I was I was bullied every day in every school. And I was always the new kid. I've changed schools, I think, 10 times in 12 years or 10 different mm-hmm. schools. I changed schools 11 times in 12 years. Uh, always the new kid and the tallest kid in school up until, I don't know, third or fourth grade. Mm-hmm. No social skills because I kept trying desperately to have a friend to mm-hmm. be anybody's friend. And so I was I just painted a target on my own back, <laughs> not to mention all the other trauma that I had to go through between my family. And I was molested as a child and horrible things happened to me. But now I can say I'm so glad Number one, that those things are in the past and I never have to relive them. But number two, that they happened to me because I didn't crater. I didn't give Mm -hmm. up. And those things made me who I am so I can be thankful 
they they happen for me and not to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the shift, isn't it? Yeah, it's recognizing. All right, what I, I can sit here and go, well, I'm a victim, and y- yes, those things were horrible, and yes, at one point I was the victim, but that mentality is not really useful. That mentality doesn't help me look for those pearls. Mm-hmm. The mentality okay. is, all right, that happened. Now what? What right. What are the lessons I can I can learn? What will I never allow to happen again? Mm-hmm. What can I be on the lookout for? What are some signs that I ignored? What are some red flags within mm-hmm. myself that I ignored? Yeah, yeah. It's and it is. It's that self love as well that that realization and that self-kindness right so to recognize yeah there are there are instances where we and other people are victimized right and people are victims and things happen to people that are so wrong and and so there's that yes and not a yes but right a yes and you can grow so strong from having gone through those. And if given the time and the space for healing, becoming stronger from that and being able to grow in compassion for others who have gone through similar situations and you kind of extrapolate that kind of compassion that you can have and expand it to be able to see like the the hurt and the kind of the, the brokenness of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everybody's broken in some way. We've all been crushed somehow. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's what we fill the cracks back in with that counts. And self-love yeah. is filling them with gold. Yeah. And treasuring our imperfections and treasuring that, you know, yeah, we've part of the human experience. It's messy and yeah. um, growing is never easy. It's usually painful Change at any, in any level is painful or can mm-hmm. be. And it's interesting while my, my journey so far has been, yes, all of that, all of those things happened and it made me super, super strong. But I realized that strong was a crust on the outside mm-hmm. that I didn't let people in. Right. And yeah. my journey through my coaching that I've received in the past, I don't know, decade or so is recognizing I no longer need that armor. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. my personal path to growth is through vulnerability. Yes. Yeah. And everyone has their own path to growth. To some, it may be being your own champion. To some, it might be slowing down. For some, it might be speeding up. My personal is being more vulnerable. It, it is so interesting just the things that we realize, right. And the things that we learn from our, the people that have helped us. Like for me, it was like one of the the biggest parts of my coaching with, with clients is touching into um, and connecting with, you can call it like your higher self, kind of your inner truth, right. So connecting with your, your higher self, that part of you that's so ancient wise um, that knows you better than anyone or anything that believes in you that wants the best and highest for you. Right. And touching into that so that you can know, like really know your yeses and your no's, Right. Mm -hmm. And 
be able to to learn when you need to pause and touch into that, call it in and get the get the truth for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And also to know that we can use it in situations where we need to like call in more energy, right? Or or to understand like what are the best times of day for us to be working on certain things or what are the people that that drain us or, yeah. or bring us more energy, right? Helps us with the boundaries and, mm-hmm. and such. So those have been been huge for me, mm-hmm. um, just understanding that. And and the another aspect that had been a struggle and it was fed as well by the bullying, you know, having my father who was like, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't necessarily say like narcissistic, but he was just a little self-absorbed. Right. And as a child, I had kind of anxiety and I would hear a thump in the house and I would become worried that something had happened. And so I was always coming downstairs after I'd been gone, gone to bed and I'd come downstairs because I wanted to check that everybody was okay. And I would say that I was thirsty or whatever, but I was really coming, going down just to make sure. And my, it drove my dad crazy. And he was, um, you know, he'd say, I'm going to lock you in your room or I'm going to like put up the trap. I'm going to put the camping porta potty in here and lock you in here. And, and I remember once I came down and my mother was always like incredibly warm and like welcoming. And I was, she like snuggled me up and I was, she gave me some jello, right? <laughs> Back in the day. Um, but my dad said, you're very difficult to love when you keep coming downstairs. Oh my word. <laughs> right. Right. So that oh. sticks with you. Right. So that phrase, you are very difficult to love, dot, 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 should never be uttered by a parent to a child. Never, Mm. never. Honestly, it should be banned from the vocabulary of anyone. Instant censorship. I wonder. And, you know, when I hear about stories like that, I think, is that how he was raised? Oh, a hundred percent. It was like over time, like, and I've come to realize like he did the best that he could. His father was pretty, um, pretty awful to him and very much favored his sister. And so my dad kind of as a reaction to that very much favored my brother, which wasn't my brother's fault in any way, shape or form. But, um, but anyway, so that kind of led into, Um, Like my first boyfriend was abusive and, you know, really going through all of that kind of like that was the best I thought I was deserving of or going to have. And it was familiar. Our brains always resort to what's familiar. Yeah, exactly. And now you look back at those situations, you're like, I can't believe that I'm this, that I don't feel like I'm any different person than I was as a 12 year old or a 14 year old or, you know, an eight year old. And yet looking back, you can't believe it was the same person that put up with that, right. That didn't, didn't immediately leave or, you know, how could I possibly have been the person that, 
you know, apologize to him after he spent the night in jail for having gotten in a fight with me. Right. So, you know, or push, you know, having scars, like I was the one to apologize. And to your point, it's like that kind of awkward girl that trying to have somebody love them. Right. I hope you've forgiven that little girl. I have. Yeah. You know, it's all just, we're all just doing the best that we can with what we know. Right. And everybody in all of those situations were doing the best that they knew. Right. Even that, even that abusive boyfriend came from a background where that was his family life. Right. So I've forgiven everybody involved and I've grown from it and I have so much compassion mm-hmm. and I also can recognize an understanding of situations where that's happening to someone else and mm-hmm. you know the whole question of you know people asking why did she not leave it's like I get it yeah but right? you you didn't you weren't capable of that yet yeah yeah, exactly. Oh and I wasn't someone who you would have thought would put up with that or you wouldn't, but it just, it just happens. And, and yeah, you, 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 people need the support of knowing that there's a safe place for them to go or that there's an alternative, right. And that they're worth more than that. That right there, that they're worth more. They are deserving of love no matter their behavior, no matter their ideology, no matter their grades or their job or whatever. Yeah. Oh, what a journey. It sounds yeah. like the biggest self-limiting behavior that you've grown out of is people-pleasing. Yeah, I would say so. Although I do I do care about <laughs> people being pleased, you know, people. And maybe it's, it's not so much the people pleasing as it gave me a heart for making people feel safe and making people feel welcome. Hopefully people feeling loved and supported mm-hmm. when they're around me mm-hmm. and helping people to feel like they have someone in their corner. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, it sounds like I, you've turned a behavior that was, and by people pleasing, I mean, doing those same things but at the cost of your own well-being 100% into recognizing what it is that you need putting that first and still being able to take care of and hold space for others 100% yeah so it's really um and bound like learning those boundaries, boundaries right so I I used to be very porous right so letting other people's energy or letting their anger or discomfort. I, I need, and I'm a middle child, right? So I was like, I was the peacekeeper. I was the, the, the bridge, the moderator, right? And, um, kind of learning instead to let people's emotions, let them have their emotions, let them own them, let them be responsible for them. And, to not, to your point, not worry so much about fixing, about being responsible for all of this, 
you know, the energy. And I think that's one of the best things that we as coaches can learn as well is that our clients they it's their work to do, right? Oh yes. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna work harder than my clients to to help them meet their goals, right? They are they're committing and to facilitate, to help them uncover, to give them tools, to give them help them find that energy and that power to take action. But it's up to them. And it's up to everybody in my life. And I think that's probably been the most healthy realization to get past. It's like all those years of trying to be the friend that is never going to be rejected or be the girlfriend that is never going to make that person mad or is, you know, it's, it was all about like, that it was my responsibility to manage. And part of that, again, like comes from, you know, my, my dad once, God bless him. Um, I say that a lot, don't I? God bless him. But um, at one point in high school, like he and my sister had been fighting a lot because their personalities were very similar. They're very intellectual and stubborn. And my brother was having a lot of, it was causing a lot of stress to my brother and my dad, set us the three of us down with my mom and told us that unless we kids shaped up he and my mom were going to get a divorce oh my word i know right so again it was our responsibility to manage him because like him fight he and my sister fighting and my brother being stressed out like it was it was our responsibility to manage him so that learning that it's not my responsibility to manage. Yeah. Um, How did that dawn on you? What was that process like? Was it an aha moment? Was it a gradual shift? What, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it was part of kind of the, the coaching experience that I've had in the last six years or so of realizing what are kind of some patterns in how I responded to things and kind of the, the weight of things. So I, I would say like that, learning that higher self, touching into that, learning when what are my yeses and what are my no's. There's sessions that I've done where it is about like differentiating and having that kind of that third perspective, right? Where you can see, here, I, I see myself feeling the emotion, right? And then there's me able to sit and watch it. Yeah, and then there's observed. that part of yourself, right? That's, that's like kind of taking it all in and can, can kind of separate like out what's, what's yours and what's mine. Mm -hmm. Becoming and, the observer to your experiences, whether they be thoughts or behaviors or patterns or... And I think that's huge for, for people. And I think it's very healing as well. And, and also some, some work with healing that, that inner child, right? What did I really need? Like in those moments, 
when I was sitting on the couch and, you know, my mom essentially was giving me what I needed there. Like I needed a snuggle and, and some of her jello, right? Mm-hmm. My dad didn't, wasn't able to give what I needed in that moment when I was, you know, afraid, right? So what can I now give to myself then, right? So yeah. kind of that um, that belief that our our that time and our energy and all of that is is infinite and it goes in all directions and that I am actually capable now of giving that little girl, you know, in that moment mm-hmm. when she needed it, I can give her that and, you know, embrace her, or, you know, tuck her back in um, with all that love. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tell me how you imagine that. Do you sit quietly and just play that out in your mind? Do you journal? Do you how do you accomplish that? Yeah, so it's actually it's kind of a um, a meditative process. So sitting and visualizing and being able to to bring to mind myself and I'll do this um I've done this before in my the core restore yoga classes that I teach. There's some some opportunities for meditation during these classes and it's about like visualizing yourself as a child and bringing to mind just like really bringing in all the senses being able to imagine myself like i can be sitting on that sofa and i can feel the myself sitting there and i can imagine myself leaning against my mom and i can see the carpet and the room and i can can remember it's cold whether it's chilly or um and bringing in that sense of imagination and and knowing and opening that up and then also imagining myself kind of that ancient wise older linda as i'm getting older she's not that much older now than i am now but, you know maybe like a 75 year old linda you know imagining that that old old wise you know lived life can see the whole picture and imagining myself now and being able to imagine both that oldest, wisest, ancient, the wisdom of the ancestors kind of Linda and myself and, and what it feels like to have them come alongside that little, little Linda. What did I need to be told then? Right. Which would be, you know, you're safe. We're all safe. You're so loved and feel that really with all my senses, all my imagination, bringing in, feeling the arms around me, feeling the the warmth of that, the support of someone having your back and being able to bring all that healing to the situation, then to be able to kind of let them separate, let them go their separate ways, knowing that they're all, all of that is always there. Little Linda, Linda now, Linda in 20, 30 years, right? Linda, you know, at 20 and 21, like we're all still there and, and all of that wisdom and all the lessons and all the resources 
can all be called in at any time. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. I love guiding those kind of meditations too. I feel it, feel that they're they're so powerful and we all have times in our life. We all have times from our childhood to different degrees, right? For some it may be that you know their their parents were 10 minutes late picking them up from school consistently. And that's a wound, right? That needs a healing just as much as, you know, a little girl being told by her dad, right? That she is difficult to love. So we all have something that Mm -hmm. needs that. I like to think of those as little T traumas. Yeah. They're the traumas that we didn't have the tools to deal with at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether they be, you know, horrific things or small things. Mm-hmm. We just didn't yeah. have the, the tools we needed or the language we needed to share it. Right. Yeah. And I also feel too, like, to some degree, I push back a little bit on the phrasing of like little T traumas, just because for one person, a little T is a big T. Big T. Right. So it can't really... I can't put a label on how hmm. big a trauma was for someone because in it's somebody's trauma, trauma. Heart, yeah, somebody's heart and mind, what I might think was nothing because I've been through big stuff for them. It's like the biggest, it was the, it was that moment in their life where they felt like nobody was going to come for them. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, um, I use that as a, as a tool, especially for men because I coach a lot of men who feel, well, I haven't gone to war. This isn't trauma. This is just me being weak or, you know, and I say, okay, then let's frame that as little T trauma. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Because, you know, when they think of trauma and PTSD, they think, well, I haven't, I'm not in a war and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a B cop and I haven't seen horrible things. Right. You know, it's almost like a way of judging themselves. Like they're not, they don't deserve to be upset about something because it's not big enough. So that makes them weak. Yeah. And it's so not true. Right. Let's take a quick break here and we'll be right back. After recording this episode, Linda and I agreed that we want to support and hold space specifically for men. That's why we've created the Inner Growth Workshop for Men coming up Saturday, May 6th. It's a four-hour virtual workshop, so you can attend no matter where you are. I know what you're thinking, that's got to be expensive, right? If you were to get four hours of coaching from either one of us, that would be almost $500 each. But this is a pay-what-you-want event. Yep, pay whatever this work is worth to you. Details can be found at cami.coach, C-A-M-I dot coach. Do you know who Shonda Rhimes is? Oh, yeah, for sure. For Shondaland. Super supportive and out of the blue through the TED Instagram post said, women always feel, you know, I'm I'm not qualified. And she said, men never feel I'm not qualified. They just do the job. And I'm like, I call bullshit. Yeah. I call bullshit with a capital B. Oh, because it's so unfair how harshly. And, and to what impossible standards men are, are held to and how harshly they're judged for feeling. Right. Whether that's insecure or imposter syndrome or 
unworthy or unlovable. Or, they feel the same things women do. And oh my God, that's just. Yeah, that's so true. It's interesting. I've had, uh, I also tend to work with a lot of men, which is surprising because most of my like marketing or um, kind of a lot of my stuff is geared towards women, but I actually end up working with men quite a, quite often. And to your point, you're right. It's like that there's that, that sense of not being good enough, but also feeling like shame. Yeah. That they can't. Right. Um, I have a client who he's actually incredibly sensitive but he's a really big guy. And so most of the time people are like intimidated by him and he has a really hard time accessing that softer side of himself because that's really what he, he's, he really is so much more that creative, that soft person, but he struggles with that expectation of what people see in him, like, and having come from a life of having played sports and, and mm-hmm. and he doesn't know how to show people that he's actually this when there's that expectation upon meeting him or working with him that he's this right mm-hmm. and i think that yeah to point that expectation that that men have and that um kind of that societal pressure to not let themselves be seen for everything that they are not just the parts they think are expected Mm -hmm. yeah men don't get the space to heal that within themselves they're just even now our society is still very much like suck it up buttercup it's not manly it's you know i i I hope we're making more inroads but gosh Mm -hmm. imagine what a what a more loving, self-accepting world we would have if... Exactly. We already know what it's like to power through Mm -hmm. and to work with people who just power through and show up as they think they ought to be, whether they're men or women. Mm -hmm. We know what that's like already. Haven't we had enough of that? Yeah. It's time. That was oddly, that was one of the pearls of the pandemic that it's okay now, much more okay now than it ever has been in the history of history for us to be talking about our mental health and for men to be talking about their mental health. Yes, yes. And with the athletes that have come out and shared, you know, the fact that people, you know, people like Justin Bieber, who called off a concert tour because of mental health, there are there are visible people who are stepping up, you know, Matthew Perry, right, writing about his addiction and and mental Mm -hmm. health and people in places of visibility more and more Mm -hmm. are becoming voices for that vulnerability for Mm -hmm creating space for healing, but it's just, it's just a drop in the bucket, right? There's so much that needs to be done. Oh yeah. And we as women can not only hold space, we can make sure that just like we, we benefit from having allies in the room who say, you know, at a, at a board meeting or whatever, say they parrot our ideas to help women's voices be heard. 
The same thing can be said. Women can hold space for men and not just in a corporate environment or work environment to not just, you know, oh yeah, be strong, but it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry. It's okay to express those emotions in a way, you know, obviously that's not going to hurt other people, but to feel those things and admit that you feel those things and, and embrace your entire spectrum of humanity within you yeah. and not just what you think is expected or what you think is how you should be. Right. And how beautiful would it be? Because I think that certainly within the coaching space among people who are interested in coaching or interested in that pursuit of self-knowledge and self-growth, there's certainly more acceptance. Like that's one of the beautiful things I've seen with working with the coaching institute and being part of those groups is like the men who come to that and really kind of feel like they found their people that they can be vulnerable with. But there's, there's still just not enough community for men just out in the everyday world. Like, you know, you and I were both in Kansas city, like where is the space for men? And I'm not a man. So maybe there, maybe there is on a meetup group somewhere, but you know, where is that place where men are really feeling like they can be vulnerable? And I, I know it's, it's funny because, you know, my husband and I years and years and years ago, we were in some Bible studies. My husband was like in a men's Bible study and he's an artist, right? So he felt like he went to that and he felt like he had nothing in common with any of those guys because it was still so guy, guy is so guy, guy, right? You know, so we created like an artist Bible study instead. And that was very cool. And there were musicians and other artists and actors. And it was, it was much more, much more vulnerable. I think that part of the problem with that traditional model of guys getting together is it's still not, it wasn't built for real true vulnerability or really working on yourself. It was still. That was a byproduct, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I think times hopefully have, have changed and, and men can be more interested in that self-reflection of that, um, finding their wisdom. What is the through line that you see in all of your male clients that you wish all men would know? I think that, that it would be that there is that that power in vulnerability, right? I think that so many men worry about losing power when they're vulnerable or being um, so much of our society is achievement oriented. It's how much money do you make? It's what kind of car do you drive? You know, what are your toys? How tall are you? <laughs> and not that there's yeah, coaching's not going to help that. But, uh, you know, I think that when you can really get to know your, your true nature, your true heart and are intentional about that. And also that there's that, there's the opportunity to find like-minded people and to create community and, find support and there's there's just a 
there's like a an kind of an opening I think that happens when that that occurs mm-hmm. but but it takes being intentional about it and I think that it's more than just a like a sudden realization it's it takes that that effort it takes that commitment of saying this is what I want for myself mm-hmm. and then looking to then it's like well what are the things that are keeping me from having that yeah that's hard to do by yourself it is it is yeah and it's hard to stick with it by yourself yeah i would say that's the biggest one of the biggest helps that having a coach can have is not just holding you accountable but keeping your motivation up to keep working on yourself yeah recognizing that you have all the tools or that you have everything you need and your coach can give you tools to work on those things or even just holding up a mirror and helping you see you know the things that you can't see from the inside you there's a saying you can't you can't read the bottle from the inside right yeah you can't read the label from the inside that's what it is yeah yeah it's so true and um I think too like while you're on that journey sometimes it can feel like you're the only one so I think when someone who is interested in that does have a coach, even if you're only seeing that, that they may be the only person in your life currently that really understands that's that space and what you're going for right then. And so during that time period where you're growing in it and you're expanding it and you're growing and strengthen that, even if just once a week or once every other week, right? That's the one person that you see that reflects back to you that truth of what you want to become. That's enough to keep going until you start to attract more and more of of those types of people Mm -hmm. into your life, right? Yeah. You start recognizing those traits in other people Mm -hmm. and you're comfortable feeling like, yes, I can say to that person, you seem like a nice guy. Let's hang out and feeling comfortable enough in your own skin not to think, oh, this is weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you find with your clients that one of the stumbling blocks people have is that sometimes people start to change beyond their current circle of people and that very, the very scary act of, you know, maybe they're the first person across that bridge. And some people may get left behind in that. And some people may see you and be like, I want to cross that bridge too. But you have to be kind of brave enough to cross the bridge, Mm -hmm. right? And some people may say, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? How could you possibly leave me behind? Right. Yeah. And I think too, that's another reason why coaching is important is because, you know, there's the feedback you're going to get by from a friend and the support you're going to get from a friend. But ultimately, your friendships are comfortable because of who you are right now. As much as they want the best for you, they also probably are not going to be comfortable if you really start to change very much. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And coaches just have that level of distance from a client to where we're not like, yeah, but you are so, that was what you did in college was so stupid. I don't think you can ever get past that, right? (laughs) If anything, we're the ones to say that thing you did, that stupid thing you did in college. Yeah. You can get past that. You can get past it. Right. You know, 
It's uh, we can hold kind of hold the vision yeah. um, as a as a truly I don't want to say dispassionate, but just a objective. Little bit, yeah, objective. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We provide more. an objective outside viewpoint. And I saw a TED talk of this doctor saying somebody approached him and said, you know, I'd like to be your coach. And he's like, hello, I am an amazing heart surgeon. I do not need a coach. And the very first session he sat in, the the heart surgery went beautifully. And he thought, there's nothing this guy can talk about. (laughs) And the other surgeon says, you know, when you do this, you hold your arm, you hold your elbow up real high. He said, I bet your arm, your shoulder gets tired. And he's like, well, yeah, it does. It's nothing that you would be able to see yourself because, you know, you're in the moment, you're doing the thing, but from an outsider, we can see it very clearly. Yeah. 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 Everyone should have a coach at some point in their life. Everyone, of course. Internally and individually, we do have all the answers. Most of the time, we don't know where to look. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't create the, the silence to listen. We don't make that space. We're in the moment, right? Yeah. That's why it's good to have one hour a week where you can sit down and say, all right, let's look at what you're creating right now and what you need for this next week. And we'll make action plans. And what do you need? Yeah. And we're here together to help you create exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when clients come to me, they need to, they need help figuring out what it is they actually want. hundred percent. So that's another thing too. And I think it's great for, for people to know when they're looking into coaching is that there's the safe, kind of the safe problem that clients come with. <laughs> I, I need health or losing weight or a ch- job change. Right. And then as you work together and trust builds, there's always other deeper things yeah. that, that somebody really, that's yeah. really what. The health and the job and the whatever, those are the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out. And, and just like you go to the doctor, you're sure they can give you a pain kill because your foot hurts. Yeah. But at what point do you really want to find out why your foot hurts to begin with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and solve the cause, not the symptom. Right. Yeah. And have, and have that understanding. So if someone is listening to this and they're thinking, oh my God, we really want to, I just want to get to know Linda. How would they do that? Well, they can, they can reach out to me through my website, which is um, lindamorden.com or through Facebook. I'm on Facebook as Linda Morden. And I, I love, I as I'm sure you do as well, um, always have a first call with with potential clients to kind of talk over what they're kind of what they're after, have some clarity around their goals. Well, thank you very much for spending some time with me today. Yeah, absolutely, Cami. It's always a, such a joy and a pleasure to see you and spend time with you. For more good juju, visit cami.coach, C-A-M-I dot coach. <laughs>